Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. If you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes so your friends know that they can learn from the show. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. Daniel, you are have been in the pool swimming. So we always talk about your biking, but you've been in the pool swimming, Branching and you've been running here. lately. Yeah, running very slowly. The thing with switching from cycling for years on end to running is you're very frail. Is it and tough? not very fast? Are you like? Yeah. Have you had injuries? No. So very purposely uh, with running, easing back into it super slowly and on the treadmill mm-hmm. to uh, build up strength in all the joints and all that. Because basically, cycling you whittle down your bones to be like a frail eighty-year-old because <laughs> you're not making any impact at all. You're just getting like strength, but no like uh, bone density, basically. Okay. Because there's no impact, right? No impact. Yeah. So, so with running, you gotta. When you switch from cycling to running, at it ease into it very slowly. So I've been very slow. So you're doing all this to do what? Because I want to make bank, bro. I want to drive a Range Rover. We're going to branch back into triathlon this year. Wow. And do a longer course for the first time ever. So what is? how does the triathlon break out? How much do you have to do of each? Oh, boy. Uh, swimming is 1.2 miles for our Imperial folks. 56-mile bike ride, 13.1-mile run. Wow. That's insane. So, so not too uh, bad. It'll yeah, take no, that actually pains me. So we, I just went on a, I just went on a business trip recently with Quint. Yeah, and um, you know, Saturday morning he's up at like seven a.m. He's like, "You he ready?" In. Seven a.m. Well, yeah, it was, but we were weird time yeah. time differences and everything. He's like, "You ready? Get get your shoes on." And I'm like, "To do what?" He's like, "We're going for a run, just a you know a light jog that we're gonna go do around." 3.1 miles. He's like, yeah, you just did a 5K to start your day. I was dying. Yeah. So uh, you say going from a bike to going for running, going from nothing to going to run five mile or 5K was, that was brutal. I was sore for like three days. Yeah, I was going to say. Running just makes everything sore. Oh, my goodness. So. Everything. I'm like, how is my shoulder sore? <laughs> Didn't do anything with my shoulders. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's the fun thing about being an athlete in any specific way is when you try to do another thing. Like you're a like, whole nother sport, and you're like, I'm actually fit. I'm just terrible at everything that I'm not fit at. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So. Okay. All right. Housekeeping odds and ends. This episode and all episodes sponsored by Jewel Financial, J O U L E. Uh, we have a wealth development program where we work with folks all over the country. So if you're interested, reach out to us. It's J O U L E com, And uh, you can send us a request to have a meeting. Fill out the little questionnaire that we have so we can learn more about you and then point you in the right direction. Uh, send us questions. So podcast at DIYMoney.org. You record an audio question on your phone. You send it again to podcast at DIYMoney.org. We need some junior questions. We've had quite a few that have come through the pipeline, but uh, we're getting a little dry on the juniors. So feel free to send those in to us. Check us out on social media. It's DIY Money Podcast on all your different socials. Okay, we have a good question today from Robbie. Robbie, what do you got? DIY Hey, DR Money Squad. This is Robbie from Klein, Texas. I'm looking for your thoughts on investment philosophy. I currently have a Roth IRA and a taxable brokerage and looking to invest inside of each with either index funds and or equivalent ETFs. I've heard ETFs have some tax advantages over mutual funds. With that said, is it better to invest in ETFs in the taxable brokerage and mutual funds in the Roth IRA? Or does it even matter? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks. 
Okay, this is a great question from Robbie. Interesting. It sounds simple, but yeah. it's pretty nuanced. It's an interesting, uh, it's really interesting and astute question. And it's not one that we've really talked about much before. So you, let's start tackling kind of the tax questions up front and talking about that, and then we can go into the allocation of kind of an overall portfolio. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about the tax implications of a mutual fund versus an ETF. Sure. So it comes down to the structure of how the, they are created. So uh, with a mutual fund, folks uh, invest money in. Uh, the mutual fund buys shares in or uh, investments, whatever it is. So it could be bonds, could be stocks, mm-hmm. could be commodities, real estate, various different things. Uh, and so it utilizes the cash inflows uh, that investors put into it to buy those things. But then when there's outflows, if there's outflows exceeding the cash that the fund has on hand, it has to sell the uh, the investments. And right. that can create a taxable... You're saying, so you're saying the inflows is in people. So investors people, buying money. the mutual fund mm-hmm. versus investors selling the mutual fund. Yep. So that creates inflows and outflows. Right. So cash that goes into or out of the fund. Literally, at the end of each day, a mutual fund will get... Uh, here's kind of the people in the queue to buy into the fund for this day. Mm-hmm. Here's the people in the queue to buy, not like the actual people. They'll get the dollar amounts. Right. And then they have to settle up with their portfolio what that dollar amount looks like. And so they might have to buy or sell in a given day. They have cash on hand usually. Right. Um, some some bit of cash on hand that they can you know, manage those flows with. But if you think about it, like in a declining market when people are pulling money out, the outflows could exceed the inflows, meaning mm-hmm. people are taking money out of the fund, meaning that they have to then sell down. And this is actually what precipitates a market decline in some instances is it starts to go down, people start to sell, and then more people sell, which then requires more selling, and that kind of just snowballs through, right? The same thing works in reverse on the upside. On the upside, yeah. People are putting money in, uh, or the market's going up, people put money into a fund, uh, there's not all that many outflows, so it's creating cash. Then the funds have to buy more. I mean, if you think about that on the kind of the large scale of the overall market, that's kind of how it works. But on the scale of a single fund, those uh, cash in, cash out is what creates buying or selling in the fund. Buying or selling in the fund creates taxability. Yeah. So when you uh, when a fund, just like a person, when they sell shares that have gains or losses, uh, they have to realize those for tax purposes, and then the uh, holders of that fund at the end of the year will get a distribution of capital gains, Mm -hmm. and that's taxed. Now, that's completely different from an ETF. And let's back up just a step, because when we're talking about mutual funds versus ETFs, for some of those out there, Robbie, it sounds like you have good experience, but some of those out there that really have never bought either, the most basic difference that you notice on just a regular day is... A mutual fund, like Daniel was talking about, they have all these inflows and outflows that happen on a given day, and then they settle it after the market is closed. So that doesn't happen during the market session. But then with an ETF, that's traded, bought, and sold throughout the day. So you you can see price changes throughout the day in an ETF versus in a mutual fund. So now... Everything you said about the taxes is is perfectly valid. How do the ETFs then, if they're moving on a regular day, how do they not have the same capital gains kind of distribution? So structurally, ETFs are completely different. Okay. Uh, So if you think about it, an ETF, let's just take like an S&P 500 ETF. In an S&P 500 mutual fund, they buy all 500, well, 500 plus stocks in the Mm -hmm. S&P. When money comes in and out, they have to kind of rebalance that. An S&P 500 ETF will be kind of created on day one. They'll sort of buy that tranche of 
500 plus shares that are in the S&P 500, then they will create shares mm -hmm. uh, to put into the market through a bank. Uh, and then those shares will float in the market. Now, when I buy or sell shares, I'm buying or selling from another investor, either an institution like a bank or you know somebody who listens to this podcast, right? And so the money is not going back to the fund company right. to then manage buying or selling in and out of those shares. We're just exchanging shares of the ETF. And because it's exchanging shares between investors, it doesn't have to, uh, they don't have to rebalance the portfolio as often. Right. Now, it's really complex, but behind the scenes, if the fund needs more shares because there's more demand, there are ways that they can create it and do all of that. But because they are very rarely having to do as much portfolio management from a, um, a cash flows scenario, it creates significantly less capital gains. It, it really just creates capital gains on the basis of like what's needed to manage the portfolio rather than what's needed to manage the cash flows. Yeah. And the investors are able to really pick and choose a lot more of when they're realizing gain. So it doesn't you don't really encounter it as much on index funds, like if you're comparing a mutual fund to an ETF. But if you're picking a slightly more actively managed fund, whether that's a bond active more actively managed bond fund or a more actively managed stock fund, yeah. you'll see that a lot more. Right. But I there is also if you want exposure to a particular active manager or something, mm -hmm. you might not have the option between a mutual fund and an ETF. You might just have a mutual fund, or maybe it's just an ETF. So there's more behind the scenes to this answer than just saying, oh, you know, just buy ETFs because mutual funds are going to have more taxability because uh, you might want to have exposure to different areas. And there's also the cost component too. You yeah. have to be able to evaluate that and look at the expense ratio between the ETF and the mutual fund that you're buying. We typically recommend doing index funds mm -hmm. for most people that are getting started and that are investing in the market. So you do, do have to kind of balance those costs between those things as well. And you have to balance the cost of if there's any hidden fees. Sometimes some mutual funds have fees for short-term sales or buying up front with the mutual fund. So you really have to evaluate those different areas. But I kind of want to shift gears a little bit to the second part of Robbie's question because I think this is really, really important. When people have different accounts that are out there in trying to structure what allocation looks like across those different accounts. Do you keep everything kind of the same? Do you invest the same way in a Roth IRA that you do in a taxable account? Do you invest the same way in your 401k as you do in outside IRAs? So what's your thoughts on that? Too many questions. God, chill out. I, mine mirror each other pretty similarly. Yeah. With the exception of some accounts have a different time horizon goal. Mm. And so the aggressiveness or really the allocation sort of to stocks is more in line with the time duration than to particularly the account. So for instance, retirement accounts for me personally, that's still quite a ways off, a couple decades out still. And so I don't mind uh, investing those fairly aggressively. I don't feel the need to have a lot of fixed income, bonds, stuff like yep. that in there. But let's say our kids' education accounts, which happen to be in taxable accounts because we're going to use them before retirement, it's a closer medium-term kind of horizon. They have a little bit more of a mix of between stocks and bonds in those because we want kind of smooth out the volatility in those. Uh, so we kind of matched that allocation to the time horizon, and then we put them in the most appropriate vehicle, a taxable account, because we need access to them prior. Now, if we're doing a, a financial plan for somebody, 
we could look at things like, okay, you're Roth, you're never going to pay taxes on that again. Right. We might want to have the more volatile asset class in there because it has a higher potential to go up more dramatically. And you're not likely to take it out. In and you're not likely to take in it out. In your future. And if you do take it out at a higher value, you're going to pay uh, no tax on it right. versus your, say, deductible retirement accounts. You got a deduction going in. Uh, when you pull money out, you're going to be taxed on it. So there are ways in creating sort of a investment strategy and financial plan where we can go, okay, we want you to be 60-40 overall, but let's put that uh, most or all of your stocks in the the tax-free accounts, the Roths and stuff like that, and put some of your kind of slower moving stuff into the IRAs, uh, which you're going to get taxed on over time. So there are elements of that that we'll sometimes do from a planning perspective and things like that. I at this juncture, personally, that's not been a need for me in in kind of the way our plan is set up. But I have seen that when we've done planning for others. Yeah, well, and I also think if you find an allocation that you like, and we do this for clients, like we have clients that are younger, that have a long time horizon, that we're super aggressive with, that do not have bonds in their allocation, but they actually have the same side of the equities that some of our people that are less aggressive have. So you could do this in your own portfolio. So for instance, if you knew that you had Roth IRA funds that you're not going to touch for 30 years, for instance, maybe you'd be extremely aggressive with those. And you could use mutual funds or ETFs, either one, depending on cost, depending on that kind of thing. You don't have to worry about the tax side of that. But let's say you're super aggressive in the Roth IRA, and then you have a goal that's in the near term. It's not within five years because, remember, if within five years we say don't invest it, keep that money liquid, keep it in treasury bonds or money market funds available and ready to go. But let's say it's a 10-year goal that you need um, to take money out potentially. Well, maybe you have the same equity mix that you have in your Roth, but it's only 50% of the account that's in equities, and then the other 50% is into uh, fixed income, or it's into the money market or the treasury bonds or something like that. And then you're just prorating the amount that you have. So if you had 100% in the S&P 500, and this is not a recommendation, I'm just giving an example. You had 100% of the S&P 500 in your Roth IRA. Maybe you have 50% of the S&P 500 in your taxable account, and then the other 50% is in the money markets or the treasury bonds. Harnessing the power of their superior intellect, these two are hampered only by their social awkwardness. Anything else to add to that, Daniel? No. I think that we we were kind of two pretty big topics there. Uh, I think we've covered them pretty good, but yeah, somebody can submit a question if we didn't go deep enough on one of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great question. And it really does. It's super important to make sure that you're doing the research and you're diving in to figure out these things. I think you have to start with the time horizon first, what the goals are, when you're going to need that money, what your expectations for that money is, how much you're comfortable with the movement of that money. That's your starting point. Then you can start layering in the different areas of what are the expense ratios for different mutual funds or ETFs? What things do I want exposure to? Um, how much am I willing to have some taxes that come out? And you can go back and look at what the capital gain distributions are on a, a mutual fund or something like that. So you can kind of add those layers onto it as you go. But again, the time horizon is super important. And building out your allocation is kind of the start of things before you start diving into those other areas. Great question, Robbie. Good job. Good job. He sent that question to podcast at DIYmoney.org. It's an audio question. We'll send him a $25 Amazon gift card. 
Thank you all so much. The secret to wealth is really very simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest. Do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decision, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.